Support comes from Clipper Vacations, offering getaways on the Clipper Fast Ferry to Victoria, B.C. Clipper Ferry and hotel packages from $250 per person. Enjoy historic charm, afternoon tea, and more. Terms and conditions apply. Details and booking at clippervacations.com. Hey, good morning. It's Patricia Murphy. It's Thursday. This is Seattle Now. The rain is sticking around today, although it likely won't be as heavy as it was earlier this week. SeaTac tallied almost four inches of rain just on Monday and Tuesday. The water flooded homes and roads across the Pacific Northwest, wiped out Seattle to Portland Amtrak services, and drenched anyone trying to get around on foot. This kind of heavy rain is probably going to be more common as our climate changes. Deputy State Climatologist Karen Bambaca will break down what the wild weather can tell us in a minute. But first, let's get you caught up. We are deep into virus season, and now MultiCare Health System says it's requiring people to mask up in patient care areas. The rule applies to the health system's King, Thurston, Kitsap, and Pierce County locations. The move is in response to a recent rise in RSV cases that's landing people in the ER. They're also urging patients to stay up to date on their COVID, flu, and RSV vaccinations. Last month, hackers broke into the computer networks at Fred Hutchinson Cancer Center, potentially exposing patients' personal information. Now, hundreds of patients have received threatening emails from the hackers demanding money. The Hutch says it's heard from around 300 patients who've received similar emails. The emails direct recipients to pay $50 to prevent their information, like Social Security numbers, from being sold. A Fred Hutch spokesperson says the feds have been notified and a forensic security firm is investigating. As for those messages, the advice is not to pay any ransom. Just delete, block the sender, and consider reporting the email as spam. And, of course, monitor your credit report. And the King County Council voted to increase the county sales tax by 0.1 percent. The new levy will cost the average family about $40 a year. It's projected to raise about $800 million over the next seven years to help fund science and arts programs around the region. Five rivers flooded in western Washington this week, stranding hundreds of people, closing roads and filling homes with water. Floodwaters from the Stilaguamish River surged into parts of Andrews Hay, a farm near Arlington. Jennifer Bjornson works there. We're kind of at that stage of grab what you can and get to higher ground. We've moved our equipment so that our cows can be safe in the barn. Now it'll be watching how much of our topsoil gets washed away versus how much of this river silt that we actually will benefit from being deposited into our fields. It's kind of a win-lose, lose-win situation here. Given the deluge, it may be hard to believe that western Washington is technically still experiencing a drought. A super dry summer and early fall means water levels in the reservoirs that serve King County were worryingly low, even a few weeks ago. The recent rains are really helping us. And, you know, on the water supply side, we get really happy about huge amounts of rain coming in. At least we are right now. Julie Crittenden oversees water planning at Seattle Public Utilities. They have two reservoirs high in the Cascades that serve 1.5 million people, mostly in King County. We had 7.5 inches in the Cedar River watershed um, since Friday. It's caused our reservoirs to add 4.4 billion gallons of water. 4.4 
billion gallons. That's 11 percent of the reservoir's capacity filled in just a few days. But the boom and bust precipitation this year is a sign. Our climate is changing, and so is our rain. Julie said we won't be in the same situation as super dry areas like the southwest, but we will need to think differently about water conservation. That could mean filling our reservoirs earlier in the year. It could mean trying to fill them to higher levels. And we're looking at a number of other ways of possibly adjusting as we look at climate change impacts and and also our population growth. Karen Bumbacco is here to explain just what happened this week and how our rain is changing. She's Washington's deputy state climatologist. Karen, welcome back to the show. Yeah, thanks for having me. So the heavy rains this week came from a weather phenomenon called an atmospheric river. For listeners who aren't familiar, what does that term mean? Yeah, so an atmospheric river is a band in the atmosphere that transports water vapor. Um, It's very concentrated on one portion of the West Coast. And sometimes they're referred to as a river in the sky is one way to think of it. (laughs) We usually see at least three in a winter, sometimes more, sometimes less, depending on how that winter plays out. The term atmospheric river is a little bit newer. Um, It's something that scientists have kind of settled on in the last decade. But these sorts of weather events have been impacting our weather for much longer than that. Yeah, yeah. Let's put this in context, though, the rainfall, because anecdotally, it seems like a lot of rain. I'm used to a steady spit. We're breaking records right now. Rivers are flooding. Is this unusual when you look at the big picture of our climate? In the big picture, no, this isn't that unusual. One of the centers in California actually rates these atmospheric rivers. This was an AR3 on a scale of one to five. So the scale is a combination of the duration, how long it lasts, the intensity, so how heavy is the rain. And their sort of definition of an AR3 is it's hazardous, which clearly with the flooding on the Stiligwamish and other rivers we've seen, we can see how it can be hazardous, but also beneficial. So an AR3 can have benefits for reservoirs, groundwater, soil moisture, Just to put it, the precipitation in a little more context, the two-day total precipitation at SeaTac Airport was almost four inches of rain, so 3.75 inches. That's not counting anything that fell today. Looking back at that historical record, um, which starts in 1945 for SeaTac Airport, that's the 19th wettest two-day period. So it's up there. It's not in the top five, Um, you know, unusual in heavy rain, but we've seen it before. Yeah. I was having a great time listening to the wind and rain overnight. Of course, I was dry in my house, but it was a big event. It was. I was a little stressed out listening to the rain, just knowing that, you know, sometimes there's water problems, even in the city. Yeah. We had an extremely dry summer. Even just a few weeks ago, we were still experiencing a drought. All this rain helped. What's going on? Floods are always a challenge during drought because you can still be in drought when you have a flood. It's really about, you know, waiting until those floodwaters recede and seeing what the long-term impact on our Earth system is from the rain. So once these rivers recede and they're not in flood stage, will they be in the normal band of stream flow or will they drop back down to below normal because 2023 was so, so dry? Will our ground stay saturated? How about our snow Will it cool back down so we're able to build that critical snowpack? I'm asking myself all these questions this week. Surely some of this rain is helpful for our drought, but we have to see how the rest of the winter goes. 
All right. So it's going to take some time to actually figure out just how helpful this was. Like I mentioned, we're used to a constant spit, I think, during the winter, you know, a drizzly scenario. But we've already had a couple of pretty heavy rain events this fall. On top of this unusually dry summer, is rainfall in our state changing? That's a great question. So if we look at the annual amount of rain in Washington state, we're really not seeing any changes in the long-term record. There's some seasonal trends. We've seen an increasing trend in our spring precipitation. So despite a few recent springs that have been very, very dry, there's a long-term trend in increasing precipitation around the state of Washington in spring. Just in recent decades, we've also noticed a decreasing trend in our summer precipitation. Another really critical piece to look at is the intensity of the rainfall. We are expecting more intense and frequent heavy rain events in a warming climate. So our heaviest 24-hour rain events in western Washington, like these atmospheric river events we've just seen, are expected to be about 22% more intense by the 2080s. Wow! So it's a bit far off now, but it's something to keep in mind. They're also expected to be more frequent, so like this rain event we just saw, we would see about seven more days per year of rainy days like that by the 2080s. Interesting. I know we always make a joke about forecasting the weather and how meteorologists are often wrong, but what can we expect this winter from what you've observed? So we're definitely expecting a warmer winter. That I would Mm. place money on. (laughs) Um, We have an El Nino, a strong El Nino in the equatorial tropical Pacific. That usually makes our winters warm. We've seen warmer than normal temperatures already. And then what happens is when we see these warmer systems, it's more rain and less snow. So I also would place money on um, seeing less snowpack by the end of our winter this year as well. Oh, boy. So you've shattered my dreams for a snowy season in Seattle. If we don't increase the snowpack significantly, what are we dealing with? What's our snowpack looking like right now? I am a little worried about it, but I'm not panicking at this point in the season. We still have plenty of winter left, and there's plenty of opportunities for snow in the mountains. If it ends up being a subpar snowpack, then we'll just see our drought continue into 2024. Yeah. We've been talking about this like it's an annoyance, but rivers are full, if not already flooding. There's an avalanche warning in the Cascades. We've seen landslides interrupting travel, including one that closed the Burke-Gilman Trail a little bit here in the city. People had to detour around that. You know, this is very serious. Ultimately, what should people keep in mind as they're out and about for the remainder of this really wet week? Yeah, I like to stick with the National Weather Service's message of turn around, don't drown. Mm. Um, it's catchy, but it's serious. Um, just a little bit of rainwater can move your vehicle um, ponding on the street. So just slow it down and stay safe out there, folks. Yeah, and pay attention to those signs. If the road is closed, don't move forward. Absolutely. Karen Bumbacco is Washington's deputy state climatologist. Really appreciate it. Thanks so much. Thank you. 
Thanks for listening to Seattle Now. Today's episode was produced by Claire McGrain. And thanks to Casey Martin for production help. Our production team also includes Caroline Chamberlain Gomez, Jenny Cecil Moore, and Vaughn Jones. Matt Jorgensen does our theme music. Seattle Now and KUOW Public Radio are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Patricia Murphy. See you tomorrow. Seattle in the 90s. A tidal wave of iconic music roars out of this sleepy city and launches a pop culture revolution. Here's a story you haven't heard. Let the Kids Dance is a new podcast about the rise and fall of Seattle's teen dance ordinance, the law that made it illegal for young people to go to concerts. A story of moral panic, grassroots activism, and an unstoppable music community that fought for its freedom. Listen to Let the Kids Dance from KUOW and the NPR Network.